0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Good morning, Faith Bible Church. My name is Patrick. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to take us into God's Word. Are you ready? Here we go. The first car I drove after getting my license was a 1992 black, paint-peeling Pontiac Bonneville. I had just moved to moved to SoCal, living in Los Angeles. I had my giant, do you remember these, Thomas guides, big old fat, you know, made of paper, Thomas guide. I had a job that took me all over town, so I got lots of sweet drive time in my... Bonneville, but it had a flaw. The alignment was off. It always pulled a little bit to the right and it was the kind of thing where you just got used to always keeping tension on the wheel, otherwise my car would just drive off the road and I'd be in trouble. My Bonneville needed to be controlled, guided to have something or someone aligning its wheels down that freeway so that I would get safely to my destination and successfully make it out of my teens alive, and my parents' prayers would be answered. Today, with a look at our next postcard epistle, Third John is going to give us a lesson in spiritual alignment. Not your soul aligned with the universe— But just like my Bonneville needed that steady hand to guide it, our lives need the guidance of God's truth to keep us aligned with God's purposes. Third John, similar to Second John, is a personal letter written by the Apostle John on the topic of true Christian hospitality, and as he describes both good and bad examples of hospitality, we learn what biblical hospitality really requires, and it is this. Your heart and your home aligned with God's truth and his purposes. Yeah, I just did hand motions. If you learn this way, you can do it with me, okay? One more time. True hospitality requires Your heart and your home aligned with God's truth and His purposes. It's in the context of hospitality, but really this is the principle that sits at the middle of all of our life in Christ. This life is short. Even if you get to live long. And there are too many Hours and dollars and energy spent on things that just don't matter to God. Do you feel the weight of that? I have. You look back and over the course of months and you think about all the tensions that you've had in your job at work rather than enjoying your family. You evaluate your budget, and you find that you're upside down, but, but, it, but none of your money has been spent on anything that brings you real, lasting joy. Or do you just lack purpose in general? Are you wandering aimlessly, hoping that in your, your job, or your relationships, or duties at home, or even ministry endeavors that you just lack that purpose. You want more of a crystal clear purpose. Well, Third John helps to give purpose. Purpose to the use of your home and ultimately purpose to all of life. And here's the key. Alignment of ourselves with God's truth. And when we look at God's truth, It awakens us to God's purposes, and His purposes, we know, are always for our greatest good. So go with me to 3 John and follow along as I read out loud from the epistle of 3 John. Starting in verse 1, John writes this, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was overjoyed when brothers came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. Oh, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially When they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we may prove to be fellow workers with the truth. Verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but... Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brothers either. And he forbids those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does what is good is of God. The one who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we testify too. And you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I do not want to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. And we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Second John, last week, warned us about showing hospitality to false teachers. Third John accentuates the beauty of hospitality when it is done in truth and aligned with God's kingdom purposes. Did you see that in the text? Three men are named, two whose alignment is right on the money, and one who has totally veered off the road. If we want to be like the truly hospitable people that we read in this letter, we must have our lives rightly aligned. I've got... Four actions for us to commit to as we pursue a heart and a home aligned with God's truth and his purposes. Point number one in your outline, be a truth walker. Be a truth walker. Well, you met our author last week, John the Apostle, but now we get to meet a new recipient, Gaius. And this is the man that John says that he loves. In fact, he says, Gaius, whom I love in truth. Gaius is commended for two characteristics. His love before the church, you see that in verse 6. And then his walking in the truth, right here in verse 3. And as we learned last week, we know that those two must always go hand in hand, love and truth. There is no true love that is not planted in and consistent with the truth. Nigel helped us with that last week. If you didn't hear that message, go get it. Gaius is the ultimate truth walker, Texas Ranger. I just had to say that at some point. His truth walking is well known among the church and in their community. And now it's reached the ears of John, who's away from this community in Asia Minor. And John hears about it because these ministers who have gone through this area have experienced Gaius' kindness, and now they've come to John and they've testified of it. John's response in verse 4, look at it. I have no greater joy than to hear uh, than this to hear of my children walking in the truth that's a key verse not just knowing the truth but walking it out walk is live in john's language you'll see that all throughout the epistles listen to first john actually it's there in your outline first john chapter one verses six and seven John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk is practice. Practice, living it out. Walking in the truth. The pastor's greatest joy, that the flock would be living aligned with the truth. It's likely that John was a big part of Gaius's, maybe his salvation, maybe he led him to the Lord. Definitely he's been a part of Gaius's growth in Christ. You see that in the way that he speaks of this beloved friend. If you've ever walked alongside somebody in a discipleship relationship, you know that sweet encouragement that it is. That maybe you hear years down the road of others being affected, being impacted by this person that you at one time got to invest in. You impacted them for the glory of Christ and now they're impacting others. And John says, no greater joy. He is pumped about hearing this news. And he has such a confidence that Gaius is walking in the truth. Are you a truth walker? Are you known for being guided by God's wisdom? Does it dictate your choices? I mean we spent last week just under major conviction as Nigel gave us that message from Second John. How are you doing in applying those things that he was helping us to see? Does the word dictate your decisions or do you make choices mostly on what's most comfortable? Or what's most fun? Sometimes they go hand in hand. But in the end, for the true believer, truth must reign over all. Especially in our emotions. John is sure that Gaius is a truth walker. Even as a part of his greeting, in verse 2, he prays that Gaius' physical health would match his spiritual health. See, when someone's a truth walker, you care about their physical well being, but the far more important thing to you is their spiritual. And Gaius is prospering spiritually. I saw an old friend of my father's recently, and it had been a long time, and he was walking with a cane, and that was new, but he had just like, just a vibrant, bright smile on his face. And that was exciting to me because I know over the last, I don't know, eight to ten years that this man has been battling cancer. So I asked him, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Oh, and he looked at me and he said, oh, Patrick. This body's a mess, but my heart is ready for heaven. When you're a truth walker, your emotions are informed by the word of God. So that even in the face of death, there can be joy because the soul is prospering. That's what John wished for Gaius. Now, I hope that if you've come to FBC for any length of time, you've heard this all over the place. Our greatest desire for you is your soul prospering. It will always be that. We want you to come to Christ, or if that's taken place, become more like Christ. But it has to go in that order. So if your spiritual life is completely out of alignment and you know that you're not walking in step with the word of God well it may be that you need to repent place your faith in this glorious savior who died for you align your life with him that's the start of aligning your heart with his purposes your salvation don't miss that You don't want to move through this lesson anymore without stopping to really consider whether or not that needs to take place in your life. John's joy is full as he hears of his friend walking in the truth. But what is the truth that Gaius has been walking out? What's he doing that shows that he's a truth walker? That takes us to our second action. For epic spiritual alignment of your heart and home, you must not only be a truth walker, but point number two in your outline, support truth workers. Support truth workers. In verses five through eight, we see truth in action. Gaius is apparently housing, caring for, And supporting these gospel ministers who, verse 5 tells us, were strangers to them. Strangers in an earthly sense, right? Because spiritually, they were family. This is something that sets us apart as Christians. This is something that stands out about followers of Jesus. As spiritual family, we have a unique bond between us. Have you experienced that? If you've ever seen the church in other countries, you discover this bond. The Albania team will discover this bond. And the greater the difference in culture, the the more you recognize it. At the church in Uganda, where our missionaries, the Hurleys, minister, the worship pastor's name is Bosco. What a cool name. Everyone was telling me about this guy. I said, this guy's amazing. He's like the Chris Tomlin of Africa. I'm like, okay, okay. And then I went and I met him. And he is nothing like Chris Tomlin. He's like 10 times better than Chris Tomlin, okay? And when I met this guy, he and I just hit it off. There was a bond between us. And it wasn't just about music It wasn't the fact that when he led worship, he bounced. (laughs) Even though he did, I felt at home in Africa. It was good. It was Christ. That was the bond. He's been saved by the same Savior, and he submits to the same truth. So we were like family instantly. John says to Gaius in verse 5, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, truth walkers supporting truth workers. John tags on a little encouragement in verse 6, look at it there, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. You see this phrase throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. This is key in understanding hospitality, caring for people in your home in a manner worthy of God, aligned with God's purposes. Now, I want to pause here and kind of handle, as best I can, some of the misconceptions that I think we have about hospitality, biblical hospitality. It is not simply making awesome meals. It is not keeping your home always clean. Even though those things may help towards the end of what hospitality is all about. It is definitely, definitely not Joanna gaines your house, okay? Shiplap on every wall. Hospitality is the generous and loving use of your home In ministry to strangers, as if they're family, to support the accomplishing of God's purposes according to his word. Now this is a definition that I've built just based on studying and trying to saturate myself on this topic. So you'll forgive me, I didn't pull this from some book or definition from a commentary. So it's hospitality, as best I understand it, when we look at the word of God. Hospitality is the generous and loving use of your home in ministry to strangers as if they're family to support the accomplishing of God's purposes according to His truth. So, stop being ruled by Pinterest and prepare your home for God's interests. That took me a long time. (laughs) I get it. It can be really fun to align your decor with some cool design that you find online. But if you're not aligning the activities that go on inside your home with God's purposes, it's a loss. I grew up in a home where there were always people around, outside of my family. Not only were my parents in the habit of housing other people, they also, before Christ, were in the habit of throwing the biggest kegger parties in our neighborhood. Hands down. And there were always people over. When I was 10 years old, God saved my parents. They had a friend who showed them the word of God. Their eyes opened to the fact that they needed a relationship with Christ. They bowed the knee. They've been serving the Lord ever since. But I'm thankful to say that my parents haven't stopped having parties in their house. To now, is, can I get a whoop? And the number of people who lived with us over the years since they were in Christ probably increased. But there was a big difference in the way our home was used. And it had to do with the hearts of the people who lived there. They desired their lives and their home to be used for God's glory. His purposes. His kingdom work. And we saw that over the years as kids. Now, look at the main reasons in the text that John gives that this support is aligned with God's purposes. And as you look at this, look at verse 7. As you look at this, let this help you figure out how you might prioritize the use of what happens inside the walls of your home and in your life. Verse 7, he says, they went out for the sake of the name That these ministers that are coming through, that they're taking care of, they're headed towards doing something that's being motivated from and working towards the glory of the name of Christ. That's a key thing. Also, they're ministering to the lost. It says they're going to Gentiles. This is gospel ministry, that's a helpful priority. And then he says, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. So they were taking no money from those that they were testifying to, ministering to, witnessing to. So that their message wasn't hindered by the issue of finances. But, that left these guys in need financially. So John says, and this is the last thing, verse 8, We ought to support such men... So that we may be fellow workers with the truth. That's a key thing. Supporting them is joining them in truth work. And the text actually says it's joining yourself with the truth as it's being carried out by these ministers as they go. Isn't that cool? just as the hospitality of the uh, of the false teachers from second john last week was a participation in the evil deeds so the hospitality that is shown to these truth workers in third john is a participation in their very good deeds for the kingdom So housing and caring for and giving funding to faithful ministers of the gospel, it's a no-brainer when it comes to the use of your home, your life, because that is aligning your heart, all that you cherish, and your home, all that you own, all that fits inside the confines of what you possess, aligning those things with God's purposes, His kingdom advanced his church being built, even if you aren't out there with Him. And in doing so, John says, you prove to be fellow workers with the truth. Romans 10, 15, it's there in your outlines. That verse, that says, but how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things, sending them in a manner worthy of God along the lines of His purposes. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel and beautiful too are the ones who are behind them, supporting them, sending them along in a manner worthy of God. You may not have the ability or the time or the work situation to join the Albania team, and go off in the middle of the summer. But how? How can you join them? Align with God's kingdom purposes in Albania by encouragement, prayer, financial support, a ride to the airport. A few years ago, uh, we, as a church, invited three pastors and their families from three different countries to come and be at our church for about a year. And they are now dear friends of many of you Loisa and Marushka Klepacek, Aaron and Abby Sasane, Daniel and Susanna Arn. They basically lived with us, got trained, got equipped for ministry. It was awesome. But the best was watching this church family come around these three families. It was awesome. And if you participated in that, I'm sure you were just like, oh, it was so fun. That was a significant ministry to those families. I don't know that we really will even know how much God used some of you to impact the lives of other people across the globe because of that year spent with that family. In fact, I know personally that some of them have even said that your loving discipleship and your uh, modeling, showing them what healthy church looked like, completely reshaped their approach to ministry and are currently impacting the way they minister to people back in their home country. We've heard those reports. Does that bring you joy? No greater joy. That's probably the best picture that I've seen of supporting truth workers firsthand. There was a total opening of our lives, lending aid in every way we could, and then sending them on their way. Aligning your heart and home with God's purposes requires that you, number one, be a truth walker. Number two, support truth workers. And number three, beware of the wicked. Beware of the wicked. Verse nine, John detours from encouragement and now he warns about a leader in the same community whose heart and home are not at all aligned with God's purposes. Diotrephes, dun dun dun. He's got beef with John. We don't know the details, but when John previously wrote to him, Diotrephes just disregarded it. And then when it came to caring for these traveling ministers, he was unwilling to put them up. And when others in the church wanted to put them up, Diotrephes put them out of the church. And here's what John says. Look at verse 9. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. In the original language, the phrase loves to be first is actually attached to Diotrephes' name. This is kind of gnarly. John is literally saying the loving to be first Diotrephes. It's like if somebody were to say... There goes the holier-than-thou Pat Levis. But I mean, come on. Who doesn't like to be first, right? First one in line on the ride. First one to merge on the 15. First one to sign your kids up for Sunday school during quarantine. Remember Wednesday morning, you were like... That's not what John's talking about. No, Diotrephes has got some wickedness. His behavior as a leader in the church, it's downright mean. And the issue at the heart of the man, and this is what John's trying to communicate by attaching that to his name, is arrogance. He's become defined by pride. At some point, maybe he was a respectable leader, but power... And prestige has caught his eye. Rather than see himself as simply a sinner saved by grace, he's begun to think too highly of himself. And it's fine to hold a position of authority, right? Right? I mean, God builds his church with a structure of leadership for good. But the Christ-honoring leader approaches his role with an accurate view of God and an accurate view of himself. And Diotrephes has lost perspective. You remember the the story of the sons of, of Zebedee? Mark 10. Actually, the scripture is there in your outline. And they're requesting to be on the right and left of Jesus. They're like, hey, hey, when we get to heaven. And Jesus ends up just kind of like, okay, everybody come together. He like gathers the disciples together and he's like, let me give you a little lesson in greatness. Everybody gather close. And this is what he says to them. You can look in your outline. Mark 10, 42 through 45, Jesus says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their people in high position exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Rather, whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." There's no room to fight for first in God's church. If you love title and lack submission to authority, you are not the kind of leader God wants. God wants a leader who knows who's first. Listen to Paul in Colossians 1.18. He says it. He, speaking of Christ, he is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's who gets to be first. And oh, by the way, the one who is first in everything laid down his life in humble service to sinners. The loving-to-be-first diatrophies is a leader not worth following. And John wants Gaius to beware of his wickedness. Not just because he hasn't submitted to John's authority, but look at verse 10. He explains that he's been gossiping, accusing with wicked words. He refuses to receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so, man... This guy's spiritual alignment is off, right? His heart is prideful, and his home—it's empty. It's unavailable for the for, for the service that's needed to others. Self sacrifice and service to others are so far from Diotrephes' thinking. He's absolutely hung up on himself. And it has blinded him to the needs of others. Do you notice the relational divide that's caused by his actions? Refusing John, shunning missionaries, excommunicating the believers. The man or woman who likes to be first will almost always end up alone. Isolated. No desire to have their life in line with what God's doing in other people's lives. Now, we can't move on without a little look in the mirror, right? Will you go with me a little bit? Every one of us is acquainted with this attitude. So let's make sure that we're warning ourselves. Beware of the diatrophies in you. Beware of the wickedness of your own pride. Don't crave power or prestige. Don't crave it. Fight the temptation to think too highly of yourself. Embrace our FBC ministry slogan. We take the word of God seriously, but we don't take ourselves very serious. That has been so helpful in my Christian life, in my growth in being a pastor in the church. Don't take yourself so seriously, Pat. You know how to weed out the diatrophies in yourself? Take on tasks of service that have no audience and no chance for applause. You struggling with it? And you can be honest about it? Go get under, get under other godly leaders. See how your heart handles that. Chris Mueller once said, to the uh, he, he said this to my TC class when I was in TC, and it comes to my mind all the time. And it hit me as I was looking at the life of Diotrephes. He said this, the best leaders know how to follow well. That is so true. In order to cultivate a heart and a home that is aligned with God's truth, and his purpose is, be a truth walker. Support truth workers. Beware of the wicked. That pride in leaders and also in yourself that's going to hinder you from focusing on serving others. And lastly, number four in your outline. Imitate the good way. Imitate the good way. Look at verse 11. John says... Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Very simple exhortation. And you see how it fits into the context of what John's saying here. There's a threefold test of Christian faith that's kind of threaded throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And you see the third of these. We've got truth, and we've got love, and now here it's goodness. Goodness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, and 22 is Paul's version of this exhortation, exhortation. So just saying it a different way, he says, examine everything, hold firmly to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. You know that verse? There is a message that the wild man Shannon Hurley, our awesome missionary in Uganda, Uh, a message that he proclaims regularly. And he actually shared it with our high schoolers when he was in town this most recent time. And so it came back to my mind. But I've heard him share it in family devotions and in, in other sermons. And this just oozes from the life of Shannon Hurley. And the message is very simple. He says, God's way is best. God's way is best. Well... That's the hard attitude of the person obeying this command, to not imitate evil, but imitate good. Don't align yourself with evil, but with good, and good defined by God. The truly good way is God's way. The life aligned with God's purposes goes in the direction of that which is truly good, imitates the good way, follows the good path, mimics those good examples. Interestingly, as I was working through this, I noticed for the first time the coupling of hospitality and doing good in the qualification for elders. So I put the verse in your outline there. You can look at it, Titus 1.8, The overseer is meant to be hospitable, comma, loving what is good, self controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined. Okay, look back at the text, verse eleven. Can you see the the flow of thought that that's in John's writing here? He's just described Diotrephes, and he's about to describe Demetrius, who's a guy that we're going to find out has a great testimony. And basically saying right in the middle of these two examples, don't follow this guy, follow this guy. This is a principle we use in our home regularly. I am raising littles. Don't do that. Do this. Don't hit your sister, hug your sister. Don't grumble. Be grateful. Don't eat that thing you found on the ground. (laughs) Have an apple. What is this? It's the put off and put on. And no counseling or discipleship or instruction in godly living is successful apart from helping that person to see a clear path To replace attitudes or actions that are not pleasing to the Lord with those that are. Take out evil, put in good. The good way, go the good way. That's what John's telling Gaius. Where in your life do you see temptations to imitate evil? Often the influence of evil starts when we simply find the thoughts of some powerful person in culture interesting, and we just start casually listening and reading those thoughts. But listen, powerful people who do not call Christ Lord are not ultimately headed towards God. They are headed away from that which is truly good. Are you following them? This is why it's so important to align our hearts with God's truth so that you can rightly discern, make that right decision about what music to listen to, what entertainment to expose yourself to, what activities to participate in. Philippians 4.8 has that great list of good things that we can attach our mind to. It's there in your outline. Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So maybe there's some putting off that you need to do in your life. Evaluate that. And then what's the put on? When it comes to the people we imitate, which is what John is dealing with in the text, John gives a very simple guideline. Second half of verse 11. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Simple enough. It's the same simple picture that Jesus gives in Matthew 7 when he says, Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Look at the fruit. If good is the regular pursuit and practice of the person's life, that's a person connected with God, and that's a person that you want to be impacted by and follow their example. Who are you imitating? And are you engaged in really good imitation? Are you after discipleship in your life, with people who are headed towards God's way, following them as they follow Christ? And please, don't tell me that you can't find a discipler. Not at FBC, okay? This church is rich with godly mentors. So if you are in need, of getting some godly influence, getting some good mentors in your life, can I encourage you? Go get it. Go get it. Natalie and I, we seek to be, as much as we can, intentional with our babysitters. We actually do take this pretty seriously. The ladies who regularly care for our daughters are not only great babysitters, but they are truth walkers. They live out God's ways in front of our little women, and we love it. As early as we can with our girls, we want their eyes to be on the lives of those people who are aligned, aligning themselves with God's truth and His purposes. Parents, can to get an amen? Same goes for us. For Gaius, John had the perfect example. He points to him in verse 12. Ever so briefly, we meet Demetrius. A good testimony and known by all, even John himself testifies. This is a good guy. John's helping Gaius and he's helping us. Don't be tempted by the ways of that power-hungry Diotrephes. Watch Demetrius. Do what he does. Go the way he's going. That's the good way. And then we come to the sign-off at the very end of the letter. Third John closes out, and it's similar to Second John, so I won't belabor it. But John, with great love and a spirit of longing, he says in verse 13, I had many things to write to you, but I don't want to say it with pen and ink. That's a cool way of saying, I want to be with you. Why? Verse 14, he says, I want to be with you, I want to see you. I want to speak to you face to face. This is the heart of a true shepherd. He genuinely cares for Gaius and the faithful believers there. John himself is an example worth following. And he's got the title, right? The highest of titles as as an apostle. But he's not flexing his power. We just see him down to earth at the end of this letter. He's showing personal love as he calls this church to a biblical hospitality and a care for others. His final words are, what? Greet the friends by name. Not just say hi to everybody, but go through and tell each one of them as you see them, John sends his greeting to you. I think if Chris Mueller could, he would assign someone each Sunday that he travels to do this. And just go through each one of you and by name say, I miss you. Can't wait to see you again. And we do, the the leaders throughout this church, our elders have such a strong affection for this church family. And like the apostle John's heart toward Gaius, in this letter, there is no greater joy. Did you hear that in John's writing? There is no greater joy than to see the flock walking in the truth. That's it. Next week, Sean Farrell takes us to the book of Philemon. But this week, look up for a sec. This week, let's walk in the truth. Let's respond. Let's let's walk away from this following the commands that God has given us. Go after cultivating that heart and home that are aligned with God's purposes by being a truth walker. Live life aligned with God's word. Support truth workers... Use your home and all that you have for God's kingdom purposes. Also, beware of the wicked. Watch out for the arrogant. Guard your own heart against pride that hinders service. And then imitate the good way. Love it. Be influenced by, be consumed with that which is truly good in the eyes of God. We need His word And we need the strength that he alone supplies. A heart that is aligned with God is one that has been transformed. So if that has not happened in you, know that Jesus died and rose from the grave and reigns over all so that it would be possible for your life to be aligned with his. So repent and put your whole life under his rule. If we want to be a truly hospitable people, we got to have our hearts and our homes bringing glory to God as they're aligned with God's truth and his purposes. Let's pray for his help. Lord, I am thankful that we have the guidance of your word, and I'm thankful that as a church family, we have one another to serve each other as we seek to align our lives with your truth and your purposes. We cannot do it apart from your help. Would you make us a dependent people as we walk away from learning from your word? And would you help us to take action with these things so that we're not just hearing, but we're walking out this good truth that you've given us. I pray this In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.